The Recovery Greenhouse is a podcast dedicated to the growth of ideas, concepts, and outlooks that support recovery and recovering communities. I'm Gerald Lott, your host and a person in long-term recovery. I'm also founder and executive director of South Valley Voices of Recovery, a recovery community organization serving Northwest Illinois. I'm a certified recovery support specialist, entrepreneur, and a father. And after a long list of careers, I found my calling in helping others to find recovery. I work with many, many people, several addiction-related advisory boards every day. And my core belief is that people must make an effort to change their lives for recovery. The saying, no pain, no gain, is exactly correct. A person cannot experience significant life changes without enduring, accepting, often welcoming discomfort in their lives. It isn't the change that hurts us, it's our resistance to it. Today, my guest is Emily Stuckey, CEO of the Archway Institute. Um, They're an organization out of St. Louis that does a lot of good work to uh, help people to get to treatment uh, on the financial side. We'll talk more about that. Um, And last week, Emily called me out of the blue, didn't know her from Adam, but she came through the door with a friend. She came through the door with Jimmy McGill, who has just been made executive director of the National Peer Recovery Association, uh, organization that came out of Archway. And uh, Emily and Jimmy asked me, would I be willing to help them in Illinois? And I said, absolutely. And so I'm really, really excited to be a part of what you're doing, Emily. Thank you. Well, we're excited to have you. Thanks for Thanks for inviting me on your podcast today. Absolutely. So my understanding is that you were forming a gang and we were going to do a big heist <laughs> and get a bunch of gold, right? That's it. That's yeah, exactly yeah. what it is. So I just said, yeah, I'm in. I signed up. Okay. Yeah. Talk about peer support is kind of like a its own little gang or, yeah. <laughs> it's starting to feel <laughs> like it. But so now that I've signed up, now that I'm a part of National Peer Recovery, association and subsequently a part of archway what am i a part of what is it all do you want me to start from you want me to talk about archway first or npra first or does it matter which one do you like more let's go (laughs) oh i can't i can't choose that (laughs) all right let's go let's go parent then child archway yeah let's do that Okay. okay so um i'll give you my little elevator pitch, but then you, you asked me questions. So Archway Institute was founded 12 years ago, actually by my husband and his parents. Um, They had been through, you know, been through addiction, wanted to help other families in recovery. So we strive to be advocates for both the individual who's struggling and their family members. But we do that through some, you know, a wide range of of education and awareness, a lot of times to the community, really getting out there to people who, you know, don't live and breathe recovery on a daily basis and telling them about the need for recovery support services, for treatment, all the, you know, struggles that people face when they're struggling with substance use. Mm -hmm. Um, We also do some initial peer support and resource connection. A bunch of us in recovery, I'm in recovery, seven years of of recovery. And so we'll get on the phone with people, let them know that they're not alone and then connect them to different treatment and recovery resources. Um, and then the, a big piece of why Archway started was our financial assistance. We provide grants and scholarships to 
increase access to care. So what that means is basically we just get to go into communities and figure out what the needs are and how we can best support. So, you know, sometimes it's $500 to get someone through the doors of a recovery home. Um, sometimes it's, you know, $1,000 to a recovery community organization like you have that helps with transportation to get people to and from treatment. Um, sometimes it's, it is for counseling services or treatment services. Um, it can really span span the gamut of the the types of things that Archway can can provide. So it's that. So you're you're based out of St. Louis, um, hence mm -hmm. Archway, right? Yeah. Um, but but um, by the way, that thing scares the heck out of me. We'll talk about that another time. But <laughs> I'm not going up in it. Not doing I've it. I've only gone in it. I was born and raised in St. Louis. Only went in it. Uh, one time. Don't yeah. understand it. How can it be curved, but the elevator yeah. goes straight up? Not doing it. Anyway, the the financial support, is that limited to the St. Louis area? Is that nationwide? Are you, or would, because, you know, people are going to hear this. You're going to get, you know, some guy call yeah. you and be like, I need 38 bucks, you know? What we, what are the limitations that. of that? Um, it is, we are now national nonprofit technically our biggest areas of support are st louis missouri where we started southwest florida and northeast ohio and that's just because we have people in those those different areas so most of our requests come from those areas um and i would say still you know funds raised in a certain area we try to keep in that area as much as possible um but we have provided um about, I would say about 25% of our funds can go elsewhere. So to other, other parts of the country. Um, and it's really pretty, we're able to be pretty flexible. So I know we've given, we've given out a couple grants and scholarships in Illinois, actually. Oh, okay. So, okay. yeah, it's, it's definitely, every, you know, know that you can apply for scholar, like individuals can apply for scholarships, organizations, recovery organizations can apply for grants. Um, and both applications are on our website, the archwayinstitute.org. Awesome. So how does, how does Emily come to be the CEO of, of this organization? Was it something you aspired to or? Well, definitely. I, uh, well, one, it was started by my, my husband and his mom and dad. So I did find myself, you know, connected to Archway originally, but I wanted to, um, I, I used to be a teacher. I taught for six years, struggled with my own, you know, substance use, mental health, um, mental health problems and wanted to help other people, you know, on that same journey. And so, I got out of teaching and moved and then I met my, my husband actually, as I was trying to find a job in the treatment field. Um, mm. and I got a, I got, I started out as an administrative assistant and moved my way up to then became a certified peer specialist and then, uh, started doing some consulting with Archway and then one thing led to the next. So, I'm so they the had, CEO. can't yeah. believe it. <laughs> hey, it happens, man. When, when God gets involved, anything can happen, right? Yes. But, yes. So they had started Archway before you met him. 
And it, it yes. So how long has Archway been going now? Twelve years. This is our twelfth awesome. year. So yeah. so I know you said their their struggles, but like what makes a family just decide we're gonna put our money where our mouth is? I mean that's that's so commendable. What what makes a family decide to do that? Well, I think like all of all of us who have struggled in that with the system, they struggled with with the treatment system. They, you know, John was in his five year cycle of in and out of treatment agencies, and they didn't know what to do or where to go. And so his parents really um, started asking asking a lot of questions, and um, they felt like, you know, all the typical things, you know, a, a parent goes into a treatment agency, they think their son's going to come out in 28 days and be the perfect human being. And then he comes out and he relapses pretty quickly and they don't know what to do. So it's like the typical things that families, all families run into, I think, when trying to help their loved one. Um, and they didn't, they just wanted others, they wanted to help other families really through it. Um, kind of from a, my, my father-in-law always says from a, like a friendly neighbor kind of position an unbiased third party, like we've been there, we've done that. You know, you can lean on us. Let us, let us guide you because this system is difficult to navigate. Well, well, please tell them on, on behalf of people in recovery. Thank you. And, um, you know, it, it. you bring up a point that when I go to a car dealership and I purchase a car, there's an expectation that the car will work. And if the car doesn't work, I'm angry, right? And if I, if I purchase a TV, I expect it to work. And if it doesn't, I'm angry. But we who have been through the system know that you go to treatment, it's a crapshoot, you know, yeah. maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. I mean, I've never, I've never, <laughs> I've never bought a car. And they were like, well, the car will work if the car wants to work, if the car works it, yeah. you know, it's, yeah. it's like, huh? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, it, exactly. it, but it, it, in our world, that is the case, right? You sent your child to treatment with the expectation, like you said, that it, gonna fix them and and it is we do a ton of education about like the the back end of treatment yeah treatment works and treatment is needed and treatment is totally necessary uh but after treatment the hard work starts you know what are some of those other recovery support services that people need you know to continue to move in the right the right direction so we do a lot of education about that kind of the back end, I would say, the aftercare. So are you out getting into the schools? Are you interfacing with politicians? How, how What does that look like? Most of it is community engagement. So um, we do events all over the place, but a lot of times we're talking to, you know, the community, like just our general community members at Chamber of Commerces and things like that in order to share with the people who don't see it, like I said, on a daily basis. And we can kind of get that information out to the hands of people who who can also help support that, those who are struggling.
My guest is Emily Stuckey. Uh, she is the CEO of Archway Institute. Um, we were just talking about where that whole organization comes from. We're going to move into the next one, the new organization, the, the, the spinoff. What is NPRA? Tell me how that came about. Perfect. So NPRA, the National Peer Recovery Alliance, is technically a division of Archway Institute. Um, so Archway is kind of the umbrella parent organization. Uh, but NPRA, I, I started at NPRA in 2020 in the middle of COVID when we all had so much time to, you know, get on Zoom calls all the time. Um, and really, it is a a network of certified peers from across the country who are focused on really advocating for the peer workforce and supporting the peer workforce, but also around workforce development for peers. So, you know, that idea of a sustainable peer workforce, making sure that peers have all the training and the supervision and the resources they need to be successful, um, making sure that they get a livable wage, making sure that they're recognize it's just another part of the treatment team that they're not looked at as any lower or higher you know on the totem pole um and then also that peers have that voice they have that seat at the table when it comes to policy when it comes to budget decisions when it comes to all that all that fun stuff as well so that's kind of kind of the over overview of the National Peer Recovery Alliance, if you will. That's that's ambitious stuff, isn't it? I mean, how do you how do you go about rallying? I know we've probably got six, seven hundred in Illinois. I would assume other states are the same. How do you rally thousands of people in a profession that's one fairly new and two a lot of people don't know about? I'm surprised how many people we we talk to when we go to different treatment centers or schools or such that did not know that this was a profession, how do you, how do you, how do you get that started? It's... Well, really, I, I started with, um, well, we had an introductory call. Jimmy always talks about this that had, you know, maybe 50, 25, 50 people on it. And eventually that, um, that group, dwindled dwindled down to um about i would say maybe six or seven mm -hmm. like dedicated peers and myself um and these were these were peers from all multiple different all different states um who had been either training peers working as a peer like they they really i looked to them i looked to well they're my advisory board now jimmy advisory board now and he's adding more people to that but um you know I really did I looked to them as advisors and mentors and together I would say we kept the we really realized that this was something that was needed we needed a net we, we needed a association that was willing to really support and rally behind peers and so um, and we still have that, it's still that same core belief of like, this is needed, we have to make this happen for the peer workforce to be sustainable. And so, I don't know, it's just been the people who who showed up were very passion driven um, people ready to make this happen, knowing that knowing that it was a need. So consistent meetings, I was, I think that that makes, 
makes a big difference too. Monthly meetings, if you don't know what you're going to talk about, still get on because yeah. you got to keep moving forward. You you tend to find passion in our in our people. It, it, it's interesting. Jimmy and I were talking, and he said, you know, we are one of the only peoples of the world that come out of a fire and then turn around and go back in to help the next guy. And um, you know, I find when you find good people in this, they are extremely dedicated, extremely giving, um, extremely heartfelt, you know, um, I, I, ah, you, you flatter me, you (laughs) flatter me. I, um, I know we talked about some things, but you just brought, brought to mind something that I want to put with you. Um, because I know that you had talked about people being able to, um, sign up for a website or to be a member and there would be CEUs available. We could talk about that in a moment. There would be uh, some introductory or, or, or some idea of, hey, you're taking a job doing this. You probably should expect this pay. Um, there should be some place where I could go and I could say, this organization I'm working for is not allowing me to work in the way that I want what we call co-opting meeting you know I I was hired as a peer support but they got me working as a security guard type thing um but I had something happen this week and I'd like to ask you your thoughts on it I have a very new peer she's only been with us since she started right after Thanksgiving and um she so she's less than three months with me we we gave her a few clients peers we call them to work with and um just this last saturday one of those peers passed away and you know was found uh was found after using and i either fell asleep or passed out on a below zero night and was found the next morning uh dead and this peer is struggling and I really, as a as a as as a employer, I really don't have a place to send her to talk to somebody about this, other than she come talk to me. But I'm still her boss, right? So you know, even though I'm I'm empathetic, I'm also saying, but don't let this stop you from working, right? Um, I really would love to see the NPRA have a. Uh, a hotline for people because we know this is going to come up and and it's traumatizing. Yeah. yeah I, I love the idea of a hotline too. We've talked about that many times, even I, and every peer, myself included, remembers that first peer that we had that, that did pass away. I mean, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was, Mm -hmm. you know, and I went home and I told my husband about it, who was also a peer. So, you know, I could talk, talk through it with him. But, um, and I think that is, you know, that is something that MPRA can provide is that kind of peer support for peer supports. Um, I'd say go even farther. I'd say, can we get a, a psychologist 
on retainer that, you know, is there, you know, just like when there's a school shooting, they bring in the professionals, you know, just, yeah. just, just, I like, me, I like that. Just me spending your I money. Like <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I like those ideas. So you were talking about, you had this group of people get together and they, they were putting this idea of we need to come together. Where do you see the most uh, need? Is it is it in the training or is it in the advocacy? Is it is it in growing the career path? You know, do we need to get out there and let more people know that we're here, or do we need to fight for a better pay? I mean, what what would What's first? Man, I, I think all those all those things need to happen immediately. But I I'm I'm gonna speak for Jimmy a little bit too, because he's leading this thing um now and he he wants to put in place the continuing education first and foremost for for peers. That's something that's lacking in a lot of states is um, that ongoing continuing education and getting and education that's easily accessible um, so peers can get their their CEs and CEUs, whichever we want to call them, and um, continue their certification. I don't know how many, you know, there are. I, I was listening. I think it, I actually think it was Jimmy who was telling me that he he had a peer in training who um you know, the last thing he really needed was his ethics training and that ethics training wasn't for six months. So can we get him an ethics training sooner than that so he can get his, his certification right. and move forward, um, that kind of thing. So we're going to start, really start there. Um, and then looking at, you know, a possibly a national certification that might help create a little little bit more consistency from one state to the next, um, mm -hmm. including that idea of the peer career ladder modeled after, you know, Arkansas's career ladder that they have uh, for peers. So we can create, again, it's about creating that sustainability of the workforce. Um, so it keeps right. on going for, for years and years. I think all that has to happen while we are advocating for peers and recovery supports and, and livable right. wages and all that fun stuff. But Well, you brought up the CEs, and um, there's plenty of CEs out there. If you've got the money, you can hire CEs. It's kind of like, you know, can you get Stevie Wonder to come play your birthday party? You got the money, you know, <laughs> right? True. But... I find that a lot of the CEs out there are not about peer support. They're clinical. And then at the end, they're like, and as a peer, you could use them too. You know? So are we talking right. about trainings that are peer specific? You know, yes, I don't want to sit specific. for three hours learning about what a, a psychiatrist does. I'm not a psychiatrist. Yes. Yes, definitely. Peer specific, made by peers for peers. So okay, that's know, awesome. Quality, quality education and things that and very, you know, like in Illinois, we've talked about this before. In Illinois, your peers might need something different than peers in Missouri need. Um, so making sure that we hit the needs of of all the peers, I think that are out there.
I, I, I recently was talking to a young lady who went through a class. Um, the state of Illinois has done this thing, uh, the CRSS Success Program. Uh, great program. They, they are really trying to push to get more people in. And so they've made a program that kind of shortens the amount of time needed, condenses it, pays a stipend. It's a really cool program. Um, it's being run by 11 different uh, colleges here in, in the state. But the, the young lady went through it and she came to talk to us about doing an internship with us. And she said, you know, I really don't know where I could go, right? And I said, well, do you want to work in the jails? Do you want to work in the hospital? Do you want to work in an organization like ours? You know, she had, she said she had done some work at a living room and she liked that, but she really didn't know much else. And, and you know, there are some really unique uh areas where peers are, are doing some really cool work, you know, riding along with police uh, partnerships and, and working in the courts, just doing some amazing work. And, and I don't think that there's enough information out there for people entering the field. My guest is Emily Stuckey. She is the CEO of Archway Institute. So let's let's move into advocacy. Tell me about why you think that we need peer advocacy. What what's going on in the world of peers and peer support? Well, I think it's more than just um more than just advocacy for for peer support for but for recovery as a whole. So you know, there's a ton of funding out there for treatment. There's there's a ton of funding out there for prevention, but we all know that without recovery support services, without housing, recovery housing, recovery community centers and peers, kind of my three buckets I kind of put into recovery support services, um, then you, then long, you know, you don't have, it's very hard to sustain recovery. It's what we talked about, you know, in the beginning, 28 days in a treatment center is only going to do so much, you know, what, what are you engaging with on the back end in order to support your recovery? And so, um, I really, I believe passionately in advocating for, for recovery support services, peers included, um, just because I think it's so, it's so needed, um, and so underfunded right now. Um, so, so yeah. tell me your three buckets again. I put recovery housing, recovery community organizations, and peers into our recovery support services bucket. I think recovery high schools and recovery ready workplaces and all that stuff has, you know, kind of fits in fits into, but those are kind of my my three passions. I had a conversation yesterday with someone and we were talking. The state of Illinois recognizes according to their funding. 29 at present, what they call RCOs. But when I asked for the names of those, because I got to reach out to them as your representative, I got to find them, right? Mm -hmm. I was surprised that not all of them were Voices of Recovery or Live for Lolly or Take Action Today. There were a couple centers for housing and, and 
support. There were, you know, a couple of national orgs. There, and so mm -hmm. when I pulled the thread, I was told, well, if they provide recovery support services, we put them in that bucket. But yeah. I think I think there needs to be a different bucket. Mm -hmm. Do they have peers? They like recovery. Some of them. Some yeah. of them. You know, some of them. Um, but but you can't even call that. Men's warehouse could have peers. You know what I mean? It's That's like true. it's it's like every treatment center out there is hiring peers these days and kind of co-opting them into being salespeople. Mm -hmm. That's very true. I've been seeing that. a lot of really good peers have become like business development yeah. roles, which yeah. is good is good for them. And if that's where they want to go, but we do lose some great peers that way. Yes, we lose some peers and we, we, we stain the, the fabric. Right. Nothing. I, I'm all for making a buck. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm not I have nothing against them. Yeah. But. When. Peer work gets conflated with business development, then I walk into a group like AA who has a tradition against the financialization of what they perceive to be recovery and the the lines get really blurry and they can't tell you know it's one thing to make a living and have a salary it's another thing to get a commission on how many bodies you move through the door yeah yep very different and it is it does there it also that also makes it difficult for peers that are coming into the field and they're looking at some of these other positions that quote unquote peers are holding and thinking, okay, that's what I want. I want to be in a business development role and make that kind of money versus, you know, there are there are a lot of options for for position like positions peers can hold, but also settings of care I I think more often that peers can be in um, to kind of fill that fill that passion, I think, for. And a lot of people, I think, who move out of that peer role that were meant for that peer role, you know, they do lose that that passion a little bit. I always compare us to anesthesiologists, right? Okay. Um, in that if I am in Florida or I'm in California or I'm in New York and I have to undergo an emergency procedure and they bring in an anesthesiologist, I kind of expect that that guy's going to do the same thing as the other guys. That's true. Within, within you know, within yep. a margin, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I can't say the same thing about peer work. Very true. Right? Lack of Lack of consistency for sure. Absolutely. No telling what you're going to get. Mm -hmm. um, and that, to me, devalues us. Yep. Right. It, I, yeah. How do, how do you put a value at that if we can't even define what we are? Mm -hmm. If we don't have that role clarity. And I think that, you know, to your you asked that original question about, you know, what comes first, the training or the wages or whatnot. And I do think. It does it does start with having kind of 
higher standards for peers, having consistency in the training, having consistency in work experience. That's why SAMHSA put out their, you know, national model standards for peer certification and, and things like that. So, you know, it does, it does, it will make a big difference if we as a peer workforce can show, you know, our worth and our value um, also leads to, that's what's going to lead to outcomes. We have to, you know, in order to show our value, we do have to show our outcomes. We have to track data in a way, but how can you track data when every peer is doing something different? That kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. So who's the competition for NPRA? I know that uh, National Association of Mental Illness is trying to put something together. Um, I've seen a couple others. I always think I'm not smart enough to be the only people that came up with this. So, yeah, Definitely. while while you're toiling in your garage, there's another guy in Oklahoma doing the same thing. Yeah. So what else is out there? I wouldn't call them competition. I think we can all we can all work together in this and partner together. But I would I would say you have like the National Association of Peer Supporters that's out there. Um, they are. Um, they've been around for a little while. You'd have to, you can do your research on, on them. Um, you know, faces and voices of recovery are also a good, can be a good partner to NPRA because they, they do pride themselves on being the voice for, for people in recovery. Um, and then I think there are, I wouldn't say, again, I wouldn't say competition, but, um, one thing we haven't talked about is, the National Peer Recovery Alliance is working to build affiliates of NPRA in different states. So we have affiliates in Missouri, Ohio, West Virginia, Kentucky, Illinois, woo, Gerald, um, and then Arkansas too will be a, a new one as well. And so every state, I am finding that states, different states are popping up different peer associations or coalitions or whatnot to support the workforce. So you'll start hearing probably when you get more integrated into this, you'll start hearing about more of the peer support associations that are, that are out there. So, so, so do you envision a day where they all just come down to one or are, are there always going to be multiple out there with competing interests? Cause I, as a peer can't afford to join seven different. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no, to that point, there are no associations that I think we're the farthest along in that, that process of like, you know, try, trying to get members or subscribers to our website and things like that. Um, so I do think we're we're a little bit further in that process, which is a good thing. Um, I would like to see, you know, I think the benefit, the reason we wanted the affiliates in the different states is so then you have your local, you know, you have that local community voice, but they're attached to this bigger national network of peers. Together as a national network, we have a much bigger voice. And so if we can get some of those um, smaller, I would say, associations, those statewide associations connected to NPRA, I think it's going to be better for the whole workforce. Um, but places like NAPS and Faces and Voices, they don't have like a, a member, you know, it's, it's not as much of a four peers by peers, um, association type. Yeah. I wonder, so. 
I want to go down that road with you. Um, I've been noticing in the last 18 months how this this career path is broadening. When I got in, it was substance abuse. Now it's like substance abuse, and you got to include mental health. And um, I've noticed like when we first started, we one of the first things we did was we signed on with Faces and Voices. Well, last year, Faces and Voices decided they weren't going to be Association of Recovery Community Organizations anymore. Now they're the Association of Recovery Centered Organizations because they needed to broaden that out to get more people. Um, I feel like we're we're watching. I don't know if we're watching something that was too narrow get wider or something that was so specific that only certain people could apply for dollars. Yeah. And so it's getting wider to make room for these, what I call carpet baggers, but that's just me being, mm -hmm. being, you know, being territorial. Yeah. We get into some trouble with this conversation, but I think, um, I, you make a great point. So I say the same thing about like our definition of, of recovery being so broad when we broadened it, it was really for the purpose of, um, funding, being able to go to more and more places. Right. But when we broaden it, you know, what, what happens to, what happens to our recovery support services, what happens to, you know, it, it, it can be a little bit of a detriment to, to people as well. So, I think you're you're definitely right when you they're broadening it to open up funding to more and more things, but then you know what does that that's, do to the that's original where, mission? That's where I'm looking for an association to really step in. Um, I, I I'll never forget just after I got started, um, I, I uh, had been in it too long, a few months. We were making some noise. People were starting to know who we were because, you know, we have this big recovery conference we do. And, you know, I, I'm good at making a lot of people look in one direction. Um, and I get a call from one of the big treatment providers in our state. Like, you know, every state has the one with like nine centers and, you know, different counties and all that. And I'm like, wow, you know, they're calling me. I'm like honored, put on, you know, a tuxedo to take the call, right? Yeah. And the lady says, hey, we're thinking about starting a recovery cafe or an RCO. Can you give us some feedback on what you've done to get there? And I was just like, why? <laughs> yeah. That's, you know, treatment's your lane. Right. Why are you trying to do that? And she would never answer. And I know why. Because it, it coincided with, you know, the 10% set aside that Biden was talking about for recovery services and all that. You know, a lot of a lot of us learned how to do business in the school of the streets. We, yeah. I know when somebody's trying to take my corner. So uh, I think that we as an organization have to make it our mission to protect the, the, the value of what we do and make sure that we get the opportunity to provide that service. Yep. I do. Um, the, that is why 
going going back to like the advocacy for recovery supports but you know if 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 recovery is not if if we move it too far into the clinical and the treatment space, then we lose the authenticity of those environments and the authenticity of the peer. And so we have to, there has to be, you know, delineations between, between our different areas, I would say. And no, I, I completely agree with you. We gotta, we have to kind of keep that as, as our authentic recovery space. Um, so I don't, I don't know how you do matter. it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Without the dollars, there's nobody I know. I'm, all right. I'm going to piss some people off, but you know, there's a singer out there who's running around talking about she's California sober. Right. Mm -hmm. yep. And I think that is the most irresponsible thing that anybody can ever say. Mm -hmm. And you know, Oh, she's got a sober coach and all that. Yeah. She's got a guy, she's probably paying a couple hundred grand a year to knock a drink out of her hand and drag her home if things get out of hand. Yeah. I don't. Right. Right? I, I don't. And so if you want to call that peer work, right, taking that position to to be the the sober coach who's going to sit there and be a designated driver and a a a bodyguard against your own addiction yeah, okay yeah but typically our clientele don't have the money to pay somebody so what True. what we're providing generally is a free service mm -hmm. now it's paid by a nonprofit, or it's paid by a grant or it's paid by something but the majority of the people that need our help cannot afford to write a check every week for it right right and when you're a person of influence like that that talking about being california sober goes a long you know it's gonna go a long way with the the community and same with peer support it does it it does give and give give a certain name to peer support um that we don't really we don't really want right so so there, so so there you have it. Why I'm saying that the protecting the money. So then, how do you protect the money? Do you protect the money from the bottom, where we try not to get these other organizations to compete with us for the money, or do we try to protect the money by politicking with the people offering the grants, so that somewhere in that grant uh, request for funding, they say only available to people who are you know, certified peer or recovery organizations or peer led. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I said, I don't know. I don't know. Well, you know? I, I think it, that's actually a really good question. I think it's also about why we have standards for those things, why we, why we need to have standards for peers, why we have standards for recovery housing under NAR, why we have standards for recovery community centers so that, you know, not just anyone can throw up a, a recovery community center and call it call it an RCO and get funding for it. So I think we as a peer community have to really advocate for, you know, what that should look like. Uh, we're the ones that know what it should look like because we've built those things. Um, and we we should be the ones at, at the table making those 
those kind of decisions about about what they look like and what those standards are, I think. So and that's and that's and that's exactly my point is uh -huh. if if you leave it to the marketplace to self-govern, every treatment center in, in this country is gonna hire a guy who used to drink and they're gonna be like, see, he's our peer, we qualify, right? right? I think it's on us maybe to look at do we have people, and I know we do, but do we have people in SAMHSA that are in recovery and understand what we do so that when they put out the call for a grant application, they specify this has to, you have to be a certified peer specialist and not work for a treatment center to get this particular set of money mm -hmm. some other money is different mm -hmm. you, you see what i'm saying yeah i do think we have people in in sam so that you know really do advocate for recovery supports i do i do see though it's i mean treatment agent there are a lot of it's not just in your you know it's not just in illinois or in missouri or whatnot treatment agencies are popping up those recovery supports, especially recovery housing. You see a lot of that because it can be a good for-profit money. And I got no, I got no problem with that. If, if, <laughs> if, if they're giving people a good safe place to live, I got no problem with that. Mm -hmm. I really am talking about when they're taking a guy who wants to be a peer supporter and they're sending them on clinical rounds, they're having yeah. them do, you know, the job of an orderly. Mm -hmm. Or, or you know, they're making them a receptionist or yep. a van driver. Yeah, or they're tracking clinical outcomes. I, you know, yes. I, as much as I, I realize that peers are needed in in treatment. I am also more on the side of, you know, I, I like RCOs that are partnering with a treatment agency because that means it's a authentic peer space and peers can do their their actual work um but i think it i really do think it goes back to why you know the fact that we don't have consistent expectations for what peers are and what their role is and i think that's gonna that is why you see them you know doing all kinds of different things in a treatment center or being brought into different settings of care without you know all the things they need to be successful and without supervision and, and whatnot. So huge, huge, yeah. huge, huge in the state of Illinois, trying to deal with the whole supervision thing is, is it's a nightmare, but yeah. unfortunately we're getting to the close of our hour here. And, and I really appreciate you taking this time. And, very, you know, I, it, nice. it's really amazing. It's really amazing that you've been able to get this started. I'm, I'm very impressed. All the research that I've done, I'm, I'm excited to be a part of it. And, oh, um, look forward to, to watching and contributing uh, to, to the growth of this. How can people get in touch with you if they're interested? Well, go to definitely check out our website. So peerrecoveryalliance.org. I'm going to give this, I'm going to also share this with Gerald so he can put this in his podcast notes as well. Um, but if you, you can also reach out to me directly emily.stucky, S-T-U-C-K-E-Y, at thearchwayinstitute.org. Um, 
because I'm happy to to guide you in the right direction and and talk about NPRA, peers, recovery, archway, anytime. So what are we looking for at this point? Are we looking for a guy in every state or are we looking for members from the states you named? What are, what what would be who should call right now? Actually, anyone anywhere can call and get connected um, to NPRA. But we definitely, we have about six state affiliates. So if you're, um, and those affiliates are Missouri, Ohio, West Virginia, Kentucky, Illinois, and Arkansas. Um, so if you are in one of those states, we can automatically connect you to an affiliate. But if you're not, and you feel like you need one of these in your your community, reach out as well because you can get something started. The more, the more, the better. Is it possible to be a member at large if I'm not in one of those six states, but I still want to be be associated? Yes, definitely. Um, the continuing education will will be cross country. So awesome, awesome. Well, this is the end of our podcast, and uh, I thank you for the time. This is this has been awesome. Thank uh, you. You can have me back once once you get your feet wet a little bit more with NPRA, and then we can talk about. Then I'm just going to be full of gripes and spit, and just like <laughs> just all the problems, right? Yeah. Well, I absolutely. I hope to have you on many more times. I I think that what you're trying to do is something that we really need. Yes. Really need. Um. And 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 it's a uh, it's a step that every profession eventually has to take. Yeah. You know, um, and and I, I foresee a day in the the future where you know we're going to the NPRA convention and it's people from all over and you know it, it it'll be awesome. So I, I'm happy to be a part of it. Yeah. Um, to the people at home, I want to say uh, thank you for listening. Uh, we had a couple technical technical difficulties. I'm going to try to pull as much of that out as possible. But um, I really enjoyed getting to know Emily a little better. I hope you have as well. And know that there's help out there. You know, uh, the NPRA is people that'll help you. The Archway Institute is people that'll help you. Emily, people that'll help you. You are not alone. If if you are struggling please, please, please reach out. If you can't remember how to get in touch with Emily, then contact me. You can reach me at svdor.org. Phone number 779-707-0151. If you're in trouble, call the police department, call your church, call the hospital, call your local recovery community organization, go to an AA meeting and just say, I need help. Knock on the neighbor's door. Just don't do it alone. Um, and if you can't find somebody, then reach out to us because that's what we're here for. So I want to thank everybody. Emily, thank you so much again. Thank and uh, everybody at home, take care till next week. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.